as we come into the end of another tumultuous and interesting year, I've been having a lot of conversation both with peers and myself because I talk to myself, which I think most people should do, by the way. But I've been having a lot of conversations about the way that we think, the systems we've created around our ability to discern information and considering that we're still living through a very crippling um literally and deafening um pandemic i've been thinking so much about the binaries that we are forced into when we have conversation how frequently we have to choose something has to be wrong in order for something else to be right something has to be the truth for something else to be a lie and those are the only places we can exist. Um, but how I find it really hypocritical because we only exist in those binaries in conversations that seem to harm the same kind of people every time. I'm autistic. I talk about that pretty frequently. But the interesting thing about that for me and about most autistic people is what they tell us is this strong sense of justice. You know, this never swaying, very rigid, if you will understanding of right and wrong and that being the way that we you know interpret our lives and to some degree that's true I've been accused of on more than a few occasions of being very binarized in my thinking but considering I am non-binary queer and non-monogamous and kinky at some point (laughs) I've learned to exist in gray spaces but as someone who prides themselves on seeing patterns very frequently in conversation and the way that we interact with each other in numbers and all those quirky things that make my brain orgasm, I realize that those binaries serve purposes for a lot of people, usually people um, who are harming other people. And this pandemic has taught me that I recently got into a pretty aggressive conversation with someone about how we are taught to draw lines in the sand frequently, I would say, but that people get to skate standing on either side of the line. They could have one foot in, one foot out, and that I think that that's maybe more dangerous for society and humans and our connection with each other than if people were to just be, like we say in my household, wrong and strong. And I want to take some of that back because I see where it's coming from. I spend hours, like billable hours, studying history and studying sex, the way that they intersect mostly, but also them independently. And I came to the conclusion that this binary has always served the larger powers that be. I think so frequently about marriage. Um, I guess if anyone with critical thinking skills can understand why marriage is a source of contention um, when it comes to both sex and history. But marriage as a legal institution and as a social currency is constantly evolving. And I think about so frequently how every time marriage has attempted to evolve to be more inclusive or to be more equitable, there's been a lot of pushback. And it's always coming from this binary, this idea of you know, sexual or social morality, you know, what marriage is real, what marriage is fake, what marriage is just, and what marriage is corrupt. And I think so much about that binary because that's the same binary that we exist under um, in situations like this with public health, with pandemics um, that are disabling and killing people every day, um, with conspiracy theorists and, you know, all of these 
kind of crackpot theories that people have come up with because they're bored and don't like to think much outside of their narrow views of the world or because they need to make a myth out of very real circumstances that we know quantifiably affect us every day that they, I guess, just don't want to contend with. Honestly, I think a lot of this is coming from some niche brand of fatalism meets stupidity where people know or feel like they can't change their circumstances. So they'd rather believe in the more out-of-pocket thing than the thing that is more digestible because then you would actually have some accountability in trying to work toward dismantling it. And I think a lot of people are a little lazy on that front, but I digress. The point is we are told a lot of the times that there are two options in the world, but we spend a lot of time challenging that, saying that, no, there's a lot of gray area, there's nuance, there's, you know, fluidity to be acknowledged. And there is probably a lot more fluidity than there is um, concrete, absolute things. But when it comes to health, when it comes to people's lives, we really need to be honest about the lines in the sand. And the pandemic, the first place that I went to in my mind with the pandemic was the HIV AIDS epidemic at the turn of the century, um, the 80s and 90s in particular, in which the country, the world left People they thought were disposable, substance abusers, queer people in particular, black and trans people to be even more specific, um, for dead. In, in search of some religious justice and uh, leverage for morality. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels between the response in COVID that I saw and see and studying the HIV AIDS epidemic. And I find that really disheartening, not really because I thought that we would learn from history, especially the type of history that people are still very much alive from. People who were able to survive it um, are reliving another pandemic where they are being essentially left to die or being told that it is their personal responsibility to save themselves or that they're being punished if they are to contract a virus. But also because it shows me that capitalism is working really well in making us individuals. And I always find it odd when I have to be the one to pose this argument because anybody who's known me in my personal life has known that the stain, if you will, of my personality is that I've been called very remarkably selfish. I've always been told that I'm selfish. I'm, you know, I'm very, you know, about me. It's about me. It's about preserving me. And that's always been the stain on my character my entire life. And I grew out of feeling guilty for that. And to some degree, I own it. But I realized I couldn't possibly be that selfish because unlike a lot of people that I saw, I was taking a pandemic that is disabling and killing people daily. I'm very seriously, mostly because I care for myself the way that I care for other people. And I think about how We spend so much time trying to work up solutions for very real problems that we have when the solution almost always, if not always, will require collective responsibility in just community. 
and I started to ask myself what I thought community was and when I've ever felt like I was in community and I thought about blackness and how there's something inherently communal about our experience and our trauma and our triumph and victory and then I thought about being queer and that experience being unique but a little bit more nuanced because queerness is too much of a blanket identity to assume all parts of especially when you're in mixed company regarding class and race and sex and gender and all of that other stuff but I realized that community requires honesty I think that's what builds communities you know and one of my maybe more formative books when I was really getting into sex anthropology sex history was sex at dawn which is a really great read on just monogamy. And I remember having a conversation with somebody about how prior to government, prior to laws, the way that you would ensure that we functioned well together as a group, as a society, as much smaller groups, but groups nonetheless, was that you functioned on a system of shame, if you will. So let's say you lived in a community of 100 people There was no law that said you wouldn't steal your neighbor's cow, but you wouldn't steal your neighbor's cow because you knew that if everybody knew you stole your neighbor's cow, you'd be considered a cheat, no one would like you, and you would be isolated from your community, thus making you vulnerable. So the risk wasn't worth it. Or you would lose access to amenities, or you wouldn't have friends, or your wife would be isolated and you'd lose childcare. So there was very much a cause and effect because our communities were a lot more intimate because they had to be. And with capitalism functioning the way that it was intended to, it is truly the masterpiece. It's evil. Creators wanted it to be. Um, People don't require community to survive anymore. And one can argue in some ways that's efficient, but I think in a lot of ways it's been detrimental to our growth as a species. I think I've mentioned before that biology has this understanding of the of nature and the universe that things typically don't endanger or extinguish each other in nature because they work symbiotically to some degree that even when things seem like enemies they have functions in their ecosystem that if they were to lose the ability to do would greatly impact everybody else for the worse It's part of the reason that when species evolved from other species, they wouldn't usually die out because everybody had a part to play. And humans, I think, have greatly stunted our growth with capitalism and with individualism. And this is coming from someone who, like I said, has spent their entire life branded with the scarlet letter of selfishness. And I think about what that sense of community meant. I think about what it still means in some communities, those that have been not as touched by these Western flawed ideals. You know, there have been tribes and indigenous groups studied across the world that have had relatively limited contact with us, with the outside world, with the West in particular, and they still function on this communalism. There's this tribe in the rainforest that has a meat hunt that all of the men go on, and when they were being observed and talked to, they realized that these women stand outside the huts of men who aren't necessarily their husbands. Um, You pick the man that you'd want to stand outside the hut of and as long as he came back with meat you know he would be your I guess for us to conceptualize it a lay husband if you will a lover 
for the time being. Um, and what the men would do is they would all go out and hunt. And if they didn't all have meat back before they got back to the tribe, they would split all the meat. So every man comes back with meat so that everybody has a good time. Everybody has meat to bring back. Everybody has some, you know, sense of glory to claim. And they could share the bounty and also share the beauty of their women. That was how it worked. They also had a very similar function in parenthood. You know, you didn't necessarily have like a father or mother. You had uncle cousins. You had uncle husbands. It's it's not really translatable very well for a reason because it's not confined to the nuclear family that we are confined to. Um, They weren't socialized the same because they weren't being bastardized by the same things that we were. And I'm not to say that this is to entirely condemn the people that you grew up with or the nuclear family, even though it is very antiquated and really anti-black and anti-indigenous in its roots. But this is to say that community shifting changes society. And when communities are allowed to be more intimate, allowed to be radically honest with each other and much better matched, they function better. The people function better. The society functions better. And the line in the sand I was referring to earlier, I think, is the one where in a world that is ever moving, that is supposed to progress past trauma, progress past the atrocities we committed and continue to commit against people, in that society, you have two sets of people. One, people who are willing to build community and thus assume responsibility for the way that they function and impact their community, and people who want to be lone wolves or think they want to be lone wolves and only care about how their decisions impact themselves. And I just think about how little of that is true, how it's never really been true. It's part of the reason that when you talk about the humanity of things like solitary confinement, it's not humane. It's the reason that people want it tossed out to begin with, the reason a lot of countries don't allow it because, you know, no man is an island, as they say. And... We never have been, which is why I find it really ironic that people have been really intentional about the language they use. They love to talk about natural selection and Darwinism and the strongest surviving. And I think the part that people maybe who didn't study science, biology or Darwinism don't understand is that the strongest animal, even by that theory, is the one most adaptable. And adaptability is quantified by a few things, how easily you can adapt to your environment, but especially for social creatures um, like us, like bonobos and apes and chimps, is how you can adapt to the things and people around you, how you can find harmony, dissolve conflict, resolve, and mediate. That's adaptability in social creatures. So we are not being very Darwin-like. We are not surviving This isn't about the fittest. I mean, a lot of this talk is really just like paper thin ableism and eugenics. But the point is, this isn't the first time we've acted like this because this isn't the first time we've attached shame to the wrong things. You know, we shame people for not being able to enter the workforce and kill themselves and their bodies for 40 plus years. We shame people for having sex with people that we don't think they should be having sex with. Or we shame people for having sex with the people we think they should be having sex with, but just really quietly when you don't know anything about it. Or we shame people for having sex and not wanting babies out of it. And the parallels that I see between the attitudes we associate shame with and the harm it does to 
nearly everyone are profound. They're, they're astute. And I'm not professing to be a philosopher. I won't sit here and harp about all of the ways that I can change the world with my heart. I wouldn't be um, that facetious. But I do urge people to look into their motives. Why you've decided the things that can be binaries are versus things that aren't. Why is it okay to be lukewarm on public health, on sexual health, but be very concrete on the way you feel about immigration or sex work legislation or police brutality? Why are we allowing gray in very black and white spaces and only existing in gray in black and white spaces? A lot of things have been convoluted here and you know, me thinks we can point at capitalism and cis-heteropatriarchy and misogyny and all other sewer systems that y'all probably are tired of hearing about, but I won't shut up about. But there's no real motive to this episode. There's no lesson maybe in this episode, but this is an episode meant to ask you to examine your motives. I'm somebody who cares a lot about investigating I care about discovering myself. And in order to discover myself, I have to be honest about myself, about why I think the way I do, about what it means to think the way I do. What do I get out of it? How does it make me feel at the end of the day when people agree or disagree with me and why? And what it says about me as a person. You know, I've spoken in depth and I speak to people about it a lot, but our perception of goodness, of good people, is going to be our ruin if it isn't already. Because goodness, we're taught, also exists on this binary, but it's a binary that people have quantified. They have made measurable steps and caps on it, and that's where we go wrong. Goodness, for some people, is giving tithe. It's delivering testimony. It's going to work every day to feed their family. Good, for some people, is horrible for the masses. And that's the problem. We don't think about community. And I'm not telling you that everybody around you is your friend, that everybody around you have to love and honor and cherish, because I don't actually believe that. But what I'm saying is, if you actually have hopes for an equitable world, for a world that works for you and the people around you, then you would start asking yourself, how could I be in community with people who wish to harm me? Or how could I ever offer community to people I'm okay with harming? be it from not practicing public health properly in the middle of pandemics, be it from touting ableist and eugenic and anti-science rhetoric, be it from not getting tested in between my partners or getting tested frequently, not disclosing my status if I've exposed them to something, if I found out that I had an SCD or STI, There is personal responsibility we carry because we don't exist in the world alone. We don't exist in vacuums. And even though someone like me who has built the largest fucking bubble I could around myself knows that vacuum should not be there to begin with. We shouldn't want to exist in vacuums. We should want to be able to hold space for people around us. Because that is the human experience. That is the animal experience. 
And we have not evolved past being animals. Animals who rely on each other in the way that we're socialized to survive on a planet that is actively being killed. I wish I thought better of the world and the people in it. I wish I wasn't very pragmatic. I wish I didn't have to work every day to not lean into fatalism, but I do because my brain, the binary one everyone has shit on my entire life, tells me that the only place that I should be gray is concerning the fate of humanity, that I shouldn't decide we're either all getting condemned to some horrible existence or that it's all for nothing. I have to believe that we can do something of worth on this planet, that we can earn our place on this planet the way other animals have through their existence, through their sharing of resources, through their honesty and socialization and the gift that they give to each other by existing in mutual respect. I want that for us. I believe that's why we're here. You know... I'll probably do a full episode about it in depth. I'm sure that I will later. But there's really interesting evidence about the way that humans evolved. That basically the female reproductive cycle, mating cycles of women in particular, literally shaped civilization. The way that we moved, how we migrated, the way that we formed community. And you know, I don't want to go on some hotepi like the woman is the end all be all type of tangent. I will say that there was a time in human nature where we knew our communities could harm us or they could help us, but that we needed them either way. And we had to be very discerning about how we chose them. And I want us to get back to a place where we do that, where we be discerning, where we make each other proud to be in community with each other but it has to happen the right way and the right way is the way of communal responsibility the right way is the way that shares space with people because you want us all to survive and thrive and be happy you want everyone to have food and shelter and water you want everyone to live to their fullest potential and be the most capable they can be in their body without being disabled or killed by pandemics, without contracting STDs or STIs that could prove to make them infertile or make them at higher risk of cancer, without killing each other with our bare hands nearly in ignorance. I want better. And most days I don't believe we are better, but on the days that I do, I turn on my mic and I try to be one of those people. And I hope going into 2022, you try that as well.